Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Rod, welcome to the Bony Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have uh, so many things I want to ask you, but uh, I'll start with something. Uh, I'm just curious. Uh, why did you get fired from CVS? <laughs> Shit, I didn't even know that was um, uh, on the on the internet. It wasn't. I'm just like, throwing um, it at you. Yeah, I think there was like one night where like someone asked me to vacuum um, like the aisle or whatever, and I guess I think I was like the youngest worker there, and I just didn't want to vacuum it because like they were supposed to be like an every other day sort of thing, and they were just kind mm. of like, no, you got to vacuum it. And I was like, no, I don't want to. I'd rather just do like anything else. And, and then they pretty much sort of fired me like, the next day. Like they found some sort of excuse. Like they were just like, oh, like, you know, your cash register was sh- short by like 36 cents or something like that. So oh, like, wow. we have to, but I knew it's because like, I kind of just pushed back on like doing something I genuinely didn't want to do. And, um, there's, I think there's like a common theme in my life where like, I just don't like being told what to do and. I like, I, I'm kind of a little bit of like a free thinker and I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe that sort of seeded the, seeded the plants of like not really ever being able to hold a steady job ever, like ever, ever since then. And, um, which, you know, leads into like a bigger story. But, so you've never uh, held a job? I have. Um, so like, but they were very short lived. I just wasn't very good at showing up at one place at a specific time and doing the same thing um, over and over again. A, I'm just not like a really a, a very big morning person. So whenever I had to sort of just forcefully okay. wake up, um, that would just dampen my mood right then and there. Um, B, I'm just like a curious person. So if I'm like told to do something and I don't really understand the why behind it, I'm just not going to be naturally into it. So I'm going to do it by force. And I think I did that with a lot of my other jobs because I needed the money, but it would just wasn't going to be, I knew something that was going to be long lasting because um, I'd rather, which kind of makes sense, I'd rather be poor than like do something that I'm not genuinely interested in. Um, so I've before CVS, I've worked at like Jones Beach at like the concession stand. Um, I, I worked at a country club as like a, like a food server waiter person did a bunch of weddings. I had a CVS job. Um, and I worked at a couple of law firms and, and luckily those were pretty short because they were kind of like, while I was in law school, they were kind of like two or three months long, but it was just enough to be like, okay, this has to end at some point because uh-huh. I need to look at the writing on the wall. And, you know, I just got into like making stuff on the internet instead. And just kind of drove me towards there. And I'd love to talk about your company, but so I'm curious now you obviously, um, you have this company and you manage people. How would you deal with someone like, like you, like, like your old self and someone that's a free thinker and maybe doesn't take, um, or takes direction, but doesn't want to do exactly what, what they're told and things like that. Yeah. I actually try to find those people. <laughs> um, okay. I'm not the very best manager. Um, so I think like the people that we hire, the people that we bring on, um, really, have to be sort of like self-starters and self-managers and just be generally curious. Like I'm good with like sort of setting the stage and setting the vision and giving them why, letting them know why this work is important and the impact it could have um, on the greater society if we succeed. And then after that, it's really just sort of up to them on like, you know, how they perform. You know, I think money is like a decent motivator, but mm-hmm. like if you're sort of building any anything sort of early stage, um, uh, you really need people to go away beyond just money being the main motivator. It needs to be something that comes from the heart. And um, that's the only way you're really going to succeed um, when you're doing something really early stage, especially in the technology se- sector, especially within law, where there's been institutions that are around for hundreds of years and you're just sort of this like less than 10 year old startup trying to disrupt it. You need people to go to the extreme and, you know, extreme, you know, actions lead to extreme results. So, I try to actively find those people. And that's why it's very hard for us to hire as well, because there's not too many of them out there. Mm. And you have this concept uh, of this flywheel concept that you've written about. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, you might have to remind me exactly. Um, I have like a personal flywheel yeah, that's what thing. And then, yeah. Um, so a flywheel is essentially just like a set of actions you take 
And like one thing kind of leads to another thing, which leads to another thing, which leads to another thing. And then you're able to sort of like um, repeat that process. So like, for example, within the context of, um, um, of, of I, I think my personal flywheel, I, I don't remember from the top of my head, but I think it's something along the lines of like um, creating something and then sort of publishing it out into the world and getting some visitors and traction and feedback from it which then makes me want to create more, which then sort of publishes more, which gets more people out there. So, um, and, and, and I use a sim- like a similar approach to like the different companies that I build. There needs to be some sort of like cycle that it goes through, which one thing leads to another, right? So if you build out a, um, a platform and, you know, if you're someone like Uber, um, you know, more, more drivers on the road equals faster pickups, from people that are requesting drivers, which brings in more drivers on the road, which then brings in more um, uh, passenger, which creates more revenue, which drives down the cost more. So um, I think a lot of things in life and also like any sort of business that you do, um, it's, it's, uh, it's helpful to just look at it in kind of that high level framework to just know that, you know, over the next 10 years, if you do this thing, there's going to be some sort of compounding effect to that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just kind of did it for my personal self as well. So are you, are you obviously you're Bangladeshi, but do you do you find yourself to be very um, in touch with like your Bengaliness, if, for lack of a better word? Are you in, do you have like are you, are you close with your family in Bangladesh and things like that? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, yes and no. Um, I was I was born here and in the U.S. and then I went back when I was really young for like a year when I was like one or two years oh. old, and um, I've only gone back two or three times since then. One time when I was like 16 and then um, another time recently after my mom passed away. So I went back uh, for that. And it's interesting, right? Because I, it's not like I've had like a really, like all of my relatives are pretty much in Bangladesh, right? It was really oh. in the US. It was just like my dad and um, my mom and some of their like college friends that are around here. Okay. Um, I have, I have cousins that are in Australia and some that are in uh, Florida, but like nowhere really near me. So I never had this like big Bengali family type experience uh, growing up. And, um, but you know, like I went, when I went back for the funeral and I saw like my, my uncles and my aunts and my cousins, it was just like, you know, it was like, we didn't even skip a beat. Like I felt like I sort of knew them my entire life and, um, you know, family's family. And I think it's been different for me just because I haven't had a lot of that, like kind of growing up. But like when I did experience it, I think it's definitely had a pretty profound, profound enough experience for me to want to sort of go back more often and cultivate those relationships a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Where in New York did you grow up? I grew up in Queens. So, So did you not, what part of Queens? I was, I was born in Elmhurst, Elmhurst hospital. And, um, we lived in, uh, where is it? Like Richmond Hill for like quite some time. So did you not have, I get, you know, I am, I understand no family, but did you not have sort of like a Bengali enclave enclave where, you know, you, you kind of make people that are not your family into your family, not you, but your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Like they had, they had friends that, um, they went to like college with or gotcha. like high school with that yeah. ended up immigrating around the same time as them. So I was lucky enough to have like a couple of like core, like friends around my age, like plus or minus one year that I like grew up with, like at like family parties and things Understood. like that. And actually I'm, I'm going to one of those friends, like his, he's getting married um, in like two weeks and I'm actually going to see him and we've been able to sort of stay in touch. Um, and yeah, yeah, that was that was there, and 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 they were basically family, right? I I, I basically just, I mean, I, even to this day, I consider my friends like you know like family members that I can pick. Um, I, yeah. I think about the same way as my college friends and some of the some of the people that I kind of um, grew up with. Um, but yeah, they were there, and um, that was cool. I wasn't as like lonely, I guess, like growing up. Um, uh, and. Yeah, I still, I still keep in touch with most of them, yeah. actually. Not, not that much. But. Yeah, that's what happens. I grew up in a building, all Bengali, pretty much 40 Bengali families. And, they, you know, they just end up becoming, you know, like, like family. Um, yeah, I ended up moving to Long Island when I was, like, in, like, the sixth grade or something. Okay. And I stayed there 
for middle school and high school and part of like elementary school. Um, and, and they, they visited it. Um, but I feel like kind of, at least at that time in Long Island, it was just like not a whole lot of Bengali people, not a whole lot of Brown people really in general. And that was just like kind of who I felt like most comfortable with. And plus we moved around a lot. So like, mm. I don't know, it was just weird. I really didn't enjoy high school yeah. that much. I was kind of like, like, um, like a little bit of a loner. I, like I, I, I was into like music. I was into like creating things. I was into like things that were just very different than like varsity sports or, mm. you know, I, I actually wasn't even that great of a student, to be honest with you. I just oh, worked wow. on other projects and other ideas. And, um, I, I was I was asking about your you know your connected how connected you are to Bengali Bengali because I I really enjoy talking to people like you that are entrepreneurs because I there's not a lot of Bengali entrepreneurs and I feel like there's a and uh, there's a sort of mindset that we Bengalis that grew up here fall into including me where we have you know we go for these safe careers um, you know doing the nine to five which is it's ironic because our parents came here and you know, they risks, risk a lot of things for us to have a better life and probably take more risks for them. But a lot of people like me and a lot of my friends end up doing these, um, taking these safer, you know, roads. And I'm just trying, I'm trying to figure out like what, it, what happened that was different with you and then other people that are also, you know, I have some friends that are also, that are also entrepreneurs, but most of them are not. You know, most of my Bengali friends are not. They're doing the nine to five. So I'm just trying to. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, com- yeah, it's an interesting topic because I've, definitely talked about this before with um some of my um bengali friends or like older family members i think that the bottom line is that um when at least for me when my parents immigrated here right um uh they had no choice but to like start a business right like they came with nothing they didn't really have any sort of advanced degrees or anything like that a bunch of my friends that i had to many college they were like pharmacists and they came here they opened up their own pharmacies um my dad didn't and it was almost like starting a business and entrepreneurship was sort of like the last resort kind of thing. Mm. And the thing that they really wish they had were degrees, were white collar jobs, or going in, yeah. having a boss, having a paycheck, making a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Like wh- whatever, like whatever thing that they sort of dreamt up as the American dream was what they sort of wanted their kids to have. Um, and as I mentioned, I was never really interested in. In, in money like that, even though like we've had our ups and downs and uh, we grew up pretty poor. And like, at some point my dad made like a decent amount of money and bought a house in Long Island, but then he like lost it all. It was always very fluctuating and up and down and it led to a lot of fights and um, separate sort of side conversation with that about like wealth creation and how I think about it. And, um, but I just, I, I, I think that Bengali parents um, really value status prestige in the realm of like society and degrees and law school and being a lawyer, being a doctor, which is kind of like the obvious thing, right? Like you kind of like see a lot of people and, and then you just get like people that either listen to them and people that don't. And like, I didn't really listen to my parents that much. And it was mainly my dad, right? He was sort of like the force in the household. And my mom was kind of like, you know, sort of like, yeah, okay, like do your thing, follow your passion or whatever. And, um, and, and I kind of just listened to my mom a little bit more um, mm. than my dad. And you just got to go through a lot of shit. Anytime, anytime you do something against what the norm is, um, you're going to get a lot of uncomfortable pushback. And for most people, they just, I don't think, really want to deal with that pushback for what uh, maybe what people think about them or the risks that they're taking or what if they fail or like, I'm not pleasing my parents. There's, there's like a multitude of reasons to not do the thing that probably is the quote unquote better path, which for me was freedom, right? That was a big part of it. I wanted to build something where I didn't have to be at a certain place at a certain time. I didn't have anybody sort of tell me what to do. Um, money was never something I really had to like think twice about, right? I, like um, I, I had that vision for myself when I was like 15, 16 years old. And, um, and then all the jobs that I had just further validated that this is just isn't me. I'm not like, built this way like um and 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 i'm just i I like creating i don't like just doing something um over and over again so i think within the bengali community it comes a little bit to that society parents uh what your view of wealth and money is like i I said that i don't care about money but like i meant like i don't really care about the salary right i i care about 
creating wealth in the form of equity and enriching lots of people in that process. And, and, and you need some of that leverage to really make a difference in the world and make a difference in society. Um, but like, I would be just as happy, like by, you know, just made the bare minimum to eat, but I got to create and do my own thing. I got to make websites. I got to like touch, you know, millions of people's lives on the internet and I got to improve it in some sort of way. Like that is something like money can't buy. And that's an experience that like has to be created and cultivated. And, um, I just, yeah, I just, I, I, I couldn't see any other way really, honestly. Um, now my parents obviously came around and my dad was just like, wow, okay, cool. This makes a lot of sense. But it, it took him, took him a really long time to a accept that, um, B not be mad at me for like not being a lawyer and not taking the bar. Like I literally just signed up for the bar. And then like the day before I just didn't take it. And I, I launched the startup instead. Um, and you go through a lot of that. Um, and I guess like, I never really grew up craving appreciation from others. Um, and like I said, in high school, I was, a, I was a super quiet kid. I was a little bit of a loner. Like I never looked for social approval really. Um, and I guess that always stuck with me. And I think like, if you look back in time and you look at like all these different famous founders, right. Whether it's like Steve jobs or Larry Page or you know, Larry Ellison, like they were all like weird in their own ways, uh, growing up. Like they were like a little bit of like misfits. And, um, and I didn't know that at the time, right. I wasn't really reading a whole lot of business books at the time or a whole lot of autobiographies, but I think like in retrospect, when I look back at my life and now that I have read like a few books on people that have done like successful things, they were always a little weird in some way. They didn't really fit in. Um, they're always against the Graham society. So if anything, I'm even leaning more towards that now that like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. And we have a bunch of employees and the business is growing and, um, I still don't want to feel comfortable and I still want to push it to the limit and still be a misfit also within the startup world. Cause it's also easy to get into that bubble as well and be like everybody else. Um, but yeah, that's a longer winded answer for <laughs> how I think about why other Bengali people don't go into startups. Yeah. It makes sense. Why law? Um, so I, okay. So in, in undergrad, I, I studied philosophy of law and, uh, I really like philosophy and, um, I like reading, I like writing. Um, I wasn't very good at like hard sciences. I originally started as a chemistry major and, um, just didn't, just wasn't into it. And, um, um, it was more forced than Mm. Uh, than anything, right? And, and I feel like with anything in life, if it feels like it is something that you have to force yourself doing it, and if it doesn't feel like play, you're always going to be worse than somebody else out there that literally views that as like, I'm just hanging out, I'm just playing, I'm just writing these equations or whatever. You're not going to be able to beat that person. Um, so I, I, I switched into philosophy and I don't know, I think just abstractly, I got law, right? It, it felt like it was like a piece of code that society wrote. And then like, there's, you know, people sort of following it and operating within those confines. And sometimes you can change that law. And then there's a different sort of thing that happens within society and it can sort of get evolved. And I like the sort of analysis of it from like a very sort of zoomed out way. Like that is how society kind of operates is through rules and laws. And, um, and sometimes you break them to create, new laws. Sometimes you bend them. Sometimes you, you know, to evolve as a species, you need to sort of change them up. So I think abstractly, I was in, into it in that way. And then the second part of it was like, you know, I, I mean, I said that I never really cared about pleasing my parents and that's true, but I think deep, deep down, you know, especially at that age, there was still a part of me that like, they would be proud if I sort of had the title as a lawyer, because then they can go and introduce me to their family friends and say that, Hey, my son is a lawyer. Right. And, and I got that. Um, and I, there was definitely a part of me that also did it for them. Um, and I kind of forced that. And that's why like, kind of like towards the end, like I ended up graduating and got my JD. I didn't like drop out or anything like that, even though I really wanted to, because I was working on different internet products that were sort of doing way better than like any job that I would have gotten like coming out of law school, but I still stuck around it. I still got my JD. Um, but I just knew 
like probably after my first or second year of law school, maybe like my first year that I was just like, yeah, there's, there's, there's no way I could like work as a, as a, as a lawyer. Um, I just couldn't really, um, it just didn't make any sense to me. It was just like, okay, it wasn't the job at CVS, but it was still a job. Right. I got to wear like a tie to work, which I hated. I did like, I, I don't even get the point of a tie. Um, didn't make any sense to me, but like, and you know, you get to go to like a fancy office, you get to work out of the city. Um, but you're still working under somebody else. You're making somebody else get richer in the process of you getting some sort of, you know, menial salary. And then, um, I just knew I could sort of like build something better than this sort of institution of a law firm, which hasn't been, um, really fundamentally changed in the last century. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why law, I, I liked it from an abstract way. I liked how it made me think. I definitely feel like it made me a better writer going to law school because you have to be really succinct. You ha- you're just always removing words. You have to be very concise. It's like surgical writing almost. And um, I think there's a lot of degrees out there that you get that don't give you like really practical skills. But I think like getting a law degree really helps you become a better reader and a better writer. And I think that that is a foundation of anything and everything you do, right? Whether it's startups or like you're opening up your own thing. Um, there's nothing that beats being able to read something complex and really understand it and level up your level of understanding. And then being able to like translate that into your own words and communicate anything that you're doing to anybody else in the world in the easiest ways. Um, so I don't regret it. Yeah. I, I looked at your reading list. Uh, one thing I took away from that is incredibly diverse. You had Watchmen to Everyday Cook to principles are what's what sort of reading mood are you in now um i'm definitely reading a lot more on like philosophy epistemology metaphysics spirituality oh wow um things within that realm of uh of of ego consciousness um uh how that can sort of how your emotions work how you can observe your emotions um, I got into meditation for the last couple of, um, I think last two or three years. Um, but yeah, I think more so the, a lot, like most of the reading material is now based around the mind and how the mind operates and why we do the things we do, why we think the way we think, um, with ultimately the goal of just basically like, how do you think for yourself when you are surrounded by, um, I don't know, like the society we lived in, you know, like there, it's very easy to just go with the flow. And even after you start a startup, it doesn't, it's like you just do a startup and like, oh yeah, you're in your own boss and you're totally fine. Like you still think about a lot of, it's, it's a game. It's, it's just a different game. Right. And like, I think my ultimate goal is like, I never want to play someone else's game. I want to create my own game. I want to create my own rules. I want to play within that. So, and I think that a lot of the, um, um, the books I'm reading now, um, uh, I'm reading, uh, there's this author, Jed McKenna, he came out with this really good trilogy on spirituality. I read a lot of Osho, um, uh, uh, a few other authors, but like my Goodreads account is a little bit more updated, but you'll sort of see the trend now moving away from like practical mm. business books and things like that to more sort of like out of body, out of mind. Um, uh, uh, thinking and that just naturally just piques my interest. I'm just curious about it. I'm not even using it as a way to like get like level up and or any sort of like practical use for it. I'm just it's just interesting. It's a whole nother world, and um, I like the aspect of not knowing about something and just being like, holy crap! Like that type of thought exists, and like I didn't mm. know that, and like I can employ that, and um, so that's just what I've been curious about. Like really, yeah. Um, I, I know that your first few startups were in the social media realm. Are you a, are you a social, would you say you're a social media person? It, it, it depends, right? Um, I've always viewed social media as like, there is always like a component of work and some objective I'm trying to further. Okay. And, um, and then, but, but, but I also have my own sort of personal thing, right? So like, I think like maybe a couple of years ago, I would be like, yeah, I use social media to, um, post stuff about my personal life and get a bunch of likes and feel better about myself. Whereas now I think that I use it as a distribution channel for some of my creative stuff and also like a good way to keep in touch with people. Oh, it's amazing Um, stuff. Like, um, um, 
like people that I've just met and I'm like, Hey, like, I, I don't really have the time to go out and like grab a coffee with you. And like, you know, it like adds up over the years, but like, here's just something like I, I wrote and like, you can just write back to me like right there, right then and there. And there's not really a purpose of like growing my following or like, I don't know, some, there was, there's not really an external thing aside from a good way of keeping touch with real human beings. And the business side is totally different, right? I think like it's a great tool to use to yeah. like, um, you know, track your customers, keep, you know, people engaged. And um, I think it's just a facet of life at this point, but the way that I use it is definitely different than like when Instagram first sort of came out of mm-hmm. how I sort of use it. Um, and I go through different phases of like going really involved into it and not like, I think like over the past year, I was like way more active on Twitter than I ever was before. Um, Cause I just got into like, sort of like more like writing for fun. And I think that, you know, if I had to choose between like posting a picture and like writing something that's like what, like 200 characters or 260, I think that um, Twitter is definitely the more sort of intellectual challenge, I guess. Right. Gotcha. So, I, so, so I view that as sort of like a good habit. If you're like tweeting, um, not that it's always healthy and you get a lot of like crazy people on Twitter and like, I don't think it makes sense, but like you're developing the skill of writing and I like like reading a book or a passage and then being able to sort of distill it into my own thoughts and quickly sort of putting it out there. It's like this public notebook almost, right. Of like my thoughts that like normally would maybe stay inside some sort of like word doc or something like that. Um, so yeah, social, but not, but it's gotcha. very easy to get burned out. from it. So similarly, uh, your startup now it's, and I'd love for you to explain what law trades is. We also never practice. So it's interesting. You've never practiced yourself, but you're um, catering to an industry of, 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 of practitioners, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, I think in the beginning, maybe viewed that as like a little bit of a weakness, but I think that um, that was like one of the greatest things I could have not done, I guess, is uh. like work as like a traditional lawyer. Um, Cause all of my ideas was just like, it wasn't tainted by how a law firm model should be or how lawyers should or shouldn't work. Or there, there wasn't all these sort of like preconceived notions about the legal industry. I mean, I work, I actually had a much, I probably worked in public interest way more than private. Like I worked at um, the legal aid society. I worked for the Texas civil rights project and it was a very like nonprofit sort of background that I had. Um, but like, I ultimately knew I wanted to go into like private practice if I, if the startup like didn't pan out or didn't succeed or whatever. Um, but it just allowed me to think of it in very simple baby terms, right? Which is just like, I was graduating into one of the worst, worst job markets within legal. And like, how do I get lawyers paid? Right. You're, you're an independent lawyer, right? You might not have 10 years to build up your reputation and, uh, and, and, and sort of, you know, find clients that way over, you know, the course of a decade. So like, what if there was an internet platform that allowed lawyers to monetize their law degrees online from the comfort of their own homes while they're traveling, they set their own hours, they pick and choose their own clients. And what if we found them a bunch of companies that wanted to hire them because it is about 60 or 70% cheaper working with an independent lawyer than it is at a law firm. Because when you work at a law firm or you work with a law firm, your company sort of hiring them, um, you're paying an insane hourly rate because there's a bunch of partners at the top that are sort of making millions of dollars a year in bonuses off the backs of associates who don't really make as much money. And then you're also paying into their fancy office on Park Avenue and all these other extras. And what if you got rid of all of that physical infrastructure? What if you got rid of partners that just siphoned money at the top and you just restarted this work model and made it completely flat and allowed a company to directly hire an independent lawyer in a really easy way by matching them with the exact location, the practice area, the price point, and then you create an elegant experience for both sides to work together and pay each other and get on the same terms and review each other. You're ultimately creating a brand new work model. Um, one that's based around freedom and flexibility for the lawyer, which is, you know, something that I've always wanted, right? Like I had like this weird background of never being able to stay at one job and I wanted to be my own boss. And I just figured like there's probably a bunch of other lawyers that felt the same way, especially lawyers who worked in big law uh, for like, you know, eight to nine years and they didn't end up making a partner and they're burned out and maybe they want to start a family and maybe they want to hang out with their kids. So like they want to work like 35 hours a week. And 
they probably they're fine with that right but there's nothing that exists that allowed them to do that right like a like a shopify for lawyers almost there wasn't something like that that existed um so that was the initial sort of seeding idea for law trades which is this marketplace platform and and we, we we predominantly sell to big tech companies and we help them scale up their legal departments by connecting them to um, a vetted network of freelance legal talent. So lawyers, paralegals, contract admins spread all around the world. And, I signed up, um, by the way. Uh, oh, I'm nice. glad. Thanks for uh, having a compliance section as a, as a compliance officer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are getting, we're seeing a lot of compliance-related, ops-related work. So um, it's been sort of organically expanding beyond lawyers it, it, because that was sort of like the main thing. Um, but... Yeah, it's 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 um it took us a while to find product market fit. Um and um now we essentially work with, you know, companies like Pinterest and DoorDash and Headspace awesome. and Open Door and they essentially use our network of lawyers to scale up their operations. Talk, uh, so uh, talk, uh, so I'd love to hear about your how you got started. So you you don't have a tech background either. So how did you get started and you got into one of these incubators, 500 um startups and how how did that come about? Yeah, so um, I just I, I've I've read books essentially. So like hmm, I'm trying to think of like what what was the real sort of way because there's always all these forces in my life growing up are just like I needed to sort of be my own person and um, mm. and, and be independent. And I think that I was just like living in a time where I was just I was always really fascinated by the internet. Um, I loved using AOL Instant Messenger growing up. I love sort of seeing different websites and like how they built it and how it looked, um, you know, back in the early two thousands. And, um, I don't know. I came across this book when I was in law school because I was just like, you know, it was like, it was like, one of, it was like, you know, like it was something called like millionaire fascinating or something really cheesy. Um, but like, I just was just like, why is it so hard to figure out how to get rich? Like, <laughs> like, what, like, 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 why isn't that just like, like there? Like, why can't I just like, just search for that and like get like a good result and just follow that rule. Right. Because more than anything, I probably wanted to do that because I view that as tied into like freedom. Um, so I picked up this book and I read it and there wasn't actually a whole lot there around internet companies, but there was something in there about music that really um, resonated with me and how like musical artists got really rich. And now, you know, if I explain it, it might seem very obvious, but at the time, the way that it broke it down for me was really sort of eye opening, which is just like musicians just, you know, they, they, they think of a song that they, 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 they think of a creation, they record it once and they sell it a million times. And for the million and one time, it costs the same amount as the first time you sort of produced it because the cost of replication of it is negligible. So you create something once. And if you have the right distribution, which at the time was like, oh, in my head, oh, the internet, um, you can infinitely scale at a zero cost margin and it's open 24 seven. And there's millions of millions of people on the internet. Um, so that idea of like build one, sell twice um, really stuck with me when I was in law school. So I experimented with this web app um, for Facebook, uh, which at the time essentially allowed you to customize your cover photo on top. So essentially at one of like the Facebook conferences at F8, they were like, hey, we're going to roll out this thing called Facebook cover. Uh, it's going to be called cover photos or something. And now anybody is going to be able to like, upload a big banner image on their profile and like change it. So I thought that it would be a cool idea to have a website that had like thousands of different sort of cover photo images perfectly oh. cropped in size to that Facebook cover. And with one click using the Facebook sort of app integration, it would change it automatically on your Facebook profile and then post it on your timeline that, Hey, I just used this website to change my cover photo to this Justin Bieber thing or this, oh. you know, motivational quote thing or whatever. And I must've spent like probably like, 300 bucks, like in like launching it, I found some guy in China that like wrote the code <laughs> for me. And I just like got the website up. I knew basic like HTML. So I was new enough to sort of get the website up. And <laughs> I just asked some other people for help. And I bought the domain name, you know, Facebook, my FB cover photo. And I did a bunch of SEO, like I read about SEO as well. Right. So I just like, I was going deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. And I just basically had this blank website, but essentially with all of these keywords in it that said cover photos, Facebook covers, Facebook cover photos, like things that I felt like people would search for once Facebook actually made this public and dropped it. And um, when they did drop it, the site essentially went viral 
um, at its peak, it was getting like 30 million hits a month. And I um, ran like Google ads on it, Google AdSense, and um, turned it into like a six figure business. Like while I was in law school, I think at its peak, it was doing like 250 to like 280K a year just for clicks. And I would just wake up and. Did you tell your parents uh, that? And what was their first reaction? Did they believe you? Yeah, my mom didn't until I showed her the AdSense account. And I was just like, yeah, here's like, you know, like $25,000 I made this month basically (laughs) doing nothing. I was just at home and like just updating different images or whatever. Uh, And she was blown away. Um, My dad didn't really get it slash like we always had like a weird relationship growing up. Um, And like, so like he didn't, not that he didn't care. It was just like, we didn't really talk like that, right? Like we weren't, like he wasn't really the first person I would call when I'm just like, oh my God, I figured this out. Um, we were just very kind of, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of like Bengali people and they're, especially if you're a son and the son-dad relationship can be a little bit yeah. um, distant and, you know, whatever. Um, do you think, do you also think, um, I think, you know, Bengalis that I think tend to be very hardworking, um, but part of that, I feel like, um, and I feel that way with my uncles and dads, is like if something doesn't require a ton of work, visible t- work, mm-hmm. um, they don't think it's real or where you deserve it. So yeah. from the out, from his perspective, you just put up a site and you're making all this money. Yeah. Um, and maybe yeah. you don't deserve it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it was almost too easy. Yeah. And um, I didn't really... You know, it's like like he 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 grew up basically doing a lot of like manual labor and physical yeah. labor. So to him, to not even a totally understand what the internet even was, to be like, how is this even possible? You're just like, um, you just don't get it. You just don't understand it. And um, and I think that my mom was definitely like pretty like she was a very empathetic person. So she was just like, I don't get it, but like that's really cool. And like you know, it's, it's like you did this sitting around. Like like she couldn't also understand. Like she's like. I'm like, you know, she worked at like this hospital at the time and she's like, I'm like running around like all day long and yeah. I make like a fraction of that. Yeah. And, um, and I think like, and, and I did like a bunch of like other sub websites after that one for Twitter, one, yeah. you know, one for Facebook, one, like, that's like, an, it was like an Indian version of that. Um, um, but I just knew at that point, like there was nothing else I would do other than build stuff on the internet. It just like, it was just like a no brainer for me. And I didn't really have too many friends that even did this. Actually, there was maybe one friend and I wouldn't even call him like at the time we weren't like that close, but um, his name was Fahim, Fahim Saleh. And um, you know, he, he actually recently passed away this yeah. past year as well as with my mom. And he was the only person that I knew that was doing stuff on the internet. Mm. And um I would just bug him all the time after I built that site and like try to meet up with him as much as possible. And, um, you know, we've been, he, he was way further along than me because he'd actually built out his website, Frank Allen. I think it was doing like a million a year. And I was just like, okay, like I need to like catch up to that slash, like, you know, like get on his level sort of. Um, so it, it was like a lonely process, but that was sort of like the, you know, like, I was able to see that path and then I got more into like tech and like, I was like, okay, there's a bunch of other people doing this. And like, I read like, you know, but, but, but in the beginning it was just like a few books and like what I saw Fahim do kind of like, you know, from, from just, you know, from the sidelines. And, but that was enough for me to just be like, holy crap. Like I need to, like, this is, this is where I'm going to build my life's work and I'm going all in on that. Did you um, look for a technical co-founder for your for law trades, or is that something uh, you don't have to worry about because of the um, of the incubator? Uh, no, so the incubator um, um, they didn't. It's funny because they were like at the time when we applied and we got in, they were like, "You can come with one exception, which is like you find a technical third person uh, to join the team." And, um, at the time, the only other person that I really like recruited was, um, uh, my co-founder Ashish, who was also, um, non-technical. Um, but he was really good at, um, sales and operations and face to face and all of that. And I really, um, sort of excel in like product development, product strategy, design, community, marketing. Um, but 
at the time we didn't really have um, a third person at the time that we applied. So um, in some sort of miraculous way, like we found out we got in like two or three days before the program started. And literally within 48 hours, we went through all of our contacts and like went through our Facebooks, went through our LinkedIn. And luckily Ashish knew somebody that knew somebody that like is a, was a developer and, um, and like connected us to him. And literally within like two days notice, he ended up moving to California with us before, before we even really got a chance to like, like know him and or anything like that and um and then yeah then we spent like almost a year out in silicon valley building the company together um but it all just sort of came together at the very last minute and i think a lot of things a lot of good things happen that way where sometimes the more you try and more you force and it wasn't like we never wanted a technical sort of co-founder just like we just weren't really happy with the people that you know could potentially uh join us and I don't know. I feel like I have like a pretty good intuition on people or, or at least I think that I do. Um, and you know, then at the last minute we got him and um, there's actually four of us at the time. We had another designer. So it was myself, Ashish, um, um, our, our sort of CTO at the time and our designer. And we just moved out to Mountain View and, um, went through the accelerator and got introduced to a bunch of investors who ended up sort of putting some money into the business. Um, but so before the accelerator, it was just an idea. You didn't have anything built. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I I did. Um, it was you know initially just like a landing page gotcha. that was like, hey, I can I can provide legal services and I need to receive legal services, and we just like email introduced people together. Um, it was a very simple form that I just gotcha. basically set up, and I was just like, I just need to like validate this in the beginning, and it's sort of like improved from there it was just like step by step became like an appointment booking thing then it eventually became a marketplace that didn't accept payments and it became a marketplace that did accept payments then it became a marketplace that accepted payments that then worked with enterprise companies so there was all these like it was just different phases different eras of just like understanding the market and understanding our customers and we just had the longevity because we always we always made sure to charge money for it we weren't one of those startups that was just like you know, we needed to just raise a lot of money up front for it to like um, become something. We've, we've always just charged something and made sure there was always revenue in the bank account for us to either split or like for us to like bring on somebody else um, uh, to join the team. So um, it was a bunch of little iterations over the last couple of years that eventually got it to be, you know, where, where it is today. What are the pros and cons of going through an incubator versus, you know, friends and family or self-funding? Yeah. So I would say the incubator accelerator route is cool because they give you money. I think 500 startups invested 125K into us. And, you know, they're like professional investors. So there's like validation because they've invested in a lot of other successful companies before. So like psychologically, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I can be like the unicorn or like a public company because they've invested in companies like that um, in the past. And then you get to work with like, I don't know, I think at the time, like, I don't know, like 15 or 20 other companies in a similar stage as you. Um, So you get the sense of community, everyone's sort of going through the same struggles and you just sort of replace your friends with like all these other ambitious people. um, Cause you're just, you know, moved from New York all the way to California. And um, that was like, that was really cool. Right. To just like, just change your surroundings just like that. Like mm. where you live, where you ate, who you talked with, like, and they were just replaced by this, like, m- you know, this mystical place called Silicon Valley where like somehow Apple and Google and Microsoft started. And like the office we were working at was where like Elon Musk, like started his first company before PayPal. And he like well, slept in that office. And it was just like all of this, like historical, like I drove by like the Facebook house and, there's all this like historical inspiring uh, um, um, vibe there that was just very different than like, you know, like being in Long Island or being in Queens. And it, you know, part of it was like delusional, right? Or just like, yeah, like, you know, like everything's going to be fine because, you know, like if they did it, we could do it. But sometimes you need a little bit of that delusion to sort of kickstart your dreams where mm. you have to be a little bit naive. You have to be a little bit, 
overconfident based on your surroundings because otherwise it's so easy to just to get into your own head and just think that it's absolutely ridiculous to build like a $10 million business or something like that. Right. Like it would just be like, what? That's stupid. Right. Like I have this website that like just collects email addresses and introduces them. Like how on earth would this ever make like half a million dollars a month or a million dollars a month? Um, but if you have a combination of like, there's people out there that did this and surrounded by other people that are doing this. And there's investors that like have seen this happen and they're, they want equity in my company. Right. So like, there's a lot of it where you're independently thinking, you're thinking for yourself, but to like have all of those forces draw you in versus like a friends and family sort of thing, you're not no longer in your sort of like own reality. You're in a different reality right now. And I think that's, 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 that's important. Um, nowadays, I think it's different. Like I'm, I moved to Long Island city to get away from that, um, where it became a thing where like, Everyone I met in San Francisco was doing a tech company. So everyone was sort of thinking the same way and like hiring the same people and like, you know, thinking about the same story. It was just like just too much of the sameness. So I was just like, I just want to move back and I want to build a really big company in Queens, which is where I was born. And I got this cool office that's right nearby my apartment, which is similar to like our flow in Silicon Valley. It was like our house was here, our office was here. There's just one street. And I wanted to sort of recreate that here. And, um, you know, I got, I got to sort of like make that happen. And, um, and, and then we went into this another, like, you know, two plus year journey of just like, we're not hanging out with any tech people. We're not, we're just going to like do our own thing and figure it out because we did struggle a lot even after we raised our initial round of funding and we couldn't find product market fit. So we just kind of was just like, let's just go into like a two year hole and you know like like shut the door behind us and until we get profitable like we're not going to do anything else like we're just going to figure this out somehow some way and um and that's that's, that's what we did and uh, what are what are your um i know you say your mom passed away but uh, what, what's your family's impressions of, of what you're doing now they they love it now you know like now it's like i think I think this uh, this month we should be surpassing like six hundred thousand in monthly revenues wow. by like six twenty, six thirty, something like that. Uh, so when you drop, and probably by the end of the year we'll hit a million a month. Um, so when you drop like numbers like that, they will sort of be like, oh, like okay. I mean, I, I'm going to ask more questions about what it is that you do now, right? Like, <laughs> so tell me more about this internet thing. <laughs> like, how can I get involved? Um, but I know that my dad is really proud of me now. Uh, he, yeah. I actually got married during COVID. We had this like mm-hmm. Zoom wedding, uh, and um, in my sister's backyard, and he gave like a talk. And you know, my dad is like the typical sort of non-emotional Bengali guy that just got emotional. Yeah, everything over the last like ten, fifteen plus years all came out um, at once. And you know, he he just kind of gave an acknowledgement and just like I didn't think that this is, you know, going to be what you would become. And you're always like this shy, quiet little kid that like, you know, um, you know, which, you know, like, I don't know where the exact connection with that totally is, but I guess like he always sort of thought that I was more of the passive type because Mm. I didn't like always speak up or try to be the loudest person in the room. And I think to a certain extent, I'm definitely an introvert. And I'm definitely more in my head than I am like in speaking and, or just sharing or whatever. And I kind of like it that way. Um, so to him, that was like, a, I guess, like his surprise of it. And he was just like, I'm super proud of you. And just amazing to see it grow. I had no idea that this is um, what you basically become, you know, partly because he had this idea that I would become this pharmacist. And that was his thing. He wanted me to be a pharmacist. And and, uh, and like make like whatever, like what I think at the time for us to make like a hundred K a year or something. And I'm like, look at, I'm doing that in a week now. Right. Like, and Amazing. I'm still, I'm still sitting at a desk and like sometimes coming into work and sometimes not. And like working on writing and books and films and other like sci-fi weird stuff and doing this at the same time. And I've just kind of viewed my whole life a little bit like that, which is like, it's not like, um, it's not like an and, I mean, what is it? It's not like, it's not an or, right? Where I'm like, I'm, I'm either a startup founder or I'm an investor. Um, it's like, you can be a startup founder and an investor and a bookworm and a skateboarder and a musician and like 
yeah, whatever, like whatever it is that you sort of want to do. We live in that day and age where like anything is really possible. Uh, thanks to the internet, you just have to put in a little bit more effort than most people. Mm. Now, if you had to wear a tie for one of those uh, things you're doing, would you wear a tie or no? Completely against it. I would never wear a tie, but I think I'm going to have to wear a tie for these weddings. I have two weddings coming up uh-huh. uh, and um, I might have to, I might have to break it. I actually still have a pretty good tie collection in my closet from the days I had to, or the days I worked at the Texas Survival Project and Legal Aid Society and different networking events. I had to show up in law school, but it's usually just like more like a reminder. It's just like, it's like one of those like tie hangers with like 50 of them, like yeah, yeah. all like kind of in there. And I just like, sometimes I just look at it and I'm just like, ah, like that's where I don't want to be. Yeah. It's just like kind of like a reminder of where I was, where I am. <laughs> now it's just like t-shirts, but. <laughs> um, wow. We've been talking for an hour. It's amazing. Um, oh, yeah. So I, uh, I wanted to just one, one question. You mentioned your friend Fahim and, you know, obviously he's with well, a tragedy and what, but what he did in Bangladesh is um, just amazing. Would you ever invest in Bangladesh or do you ever see yourself going back and starting something in Bangladesh? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, it's something that I like. Um, it's funny because like, I like put out this intention into the universe that like, I wanted to like, um, be more involved in Bangladesh. And I guess for me at, at, at my current place and state, like it would have to be something a little bit more than just going and visiting family. There would yeah. need to be some kind of like commercial business investing aspect to it. And I actually got connected with, uh, I think he might've been on your podcast. He runs the anchorless. Um, he runs this angel group. In oh Bangladesh. yeah. I, yeah. Yep. He was. Yep. If, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that's where I found you. I saw you on his, uh, on his program. Oh, okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome guy. Awesome. Awesome organization. Um, and I sort of just put out this intention, like, Hey, like, what, what can I do? And you know, I want to get involved. I don't really know. And then I just got like this cold email from him and we chatted and ended up doing, you know, the, the thing that you saw my interview with him. And, um, he sent like some deals my way. I haven't invested in a, in a startup just yet, but I think that like, that's probably how I would want to start. Um, by just writing a couple of small checks into maybe some, you know, early stage uh, companies. I, I guess I'm like looking more for like a Bangladeshi startup that's like doing like a marketplace. It's B2B similar to mine. So like I can at least like offer like some mm-hmm. value than just doing like anything and everything that's not really within my expertise. So like something like that hasn't come up yet, which is why I haven't done that deal yet. But I feel like, um, you know, I don't know if I would go like as hard as like Fahim did. Um, because I mean, he was just all about that and, you know, with yeah. Tao and like a bunch of other, you know, Bokata, I mean, just based in Africa, but like he was very big in that international scene. And I don't know if I would start like a company or something there. Obviously, if Lotrace expands there, that would be amazing. And I'd love to sort of get involved in that. Um, but I think that, you know, if there's some opportunity where I could like help out like other tech entrepreneurs that are in Bangladesh or help them get connected with, some investors that are here or mentor them or write like a small check into their seed round or pre-seed round and give them product feedback. Like I would, that would, that would make my day. Right. Because I just think about like how insanely lucky I am to be living here, to be born in America. Right. Especially after COVID where it's just like, I didn't even have to worry about the vaccination. Right. Like I literally had a friend that owned a pharmacy and I was able to get it like, right away even like while all the senior citizens were basically getting it like he just hooked me up whereas like over there like that is actually like a real thing right and it's like how are you expected to work on a startup idea and make internet websites when you can't even like i mean obviously it's different now i'm just using sort of extreme um uh analogies here but like you can't even get like an injection to you know hopefully guarantee that you're going to live like, how can you even focus on anything else, right? Like, if I was just born in the village and I had zero internet connection, like, I'd probably be, like, fishing or something like that, right? Because that's all I knew. That was the world that I sort of grew in. That was the bubble that I grew up in. But how lucky is it that, like, I was just, ha- my parents just happened to have decided to, like, move here and give birth to me here. And, you know, I didn't have the most perfect life. And sometimes I complain about that. But, like, it's just, like, I was born in the greatest country arguably in the entire world 
and also the greatest city slash state almost in the entire world. And what in the hell, like how, like the chances of that are so insane. Like we just, we just look at it from like all the other Bangladeshi people. Right. So like I, that's why I kind of like never, or I try my best to never take like any days for granted. I um, mean, I try to just do all everything and everything I, I, I can do every single day. And that's like a lot. And I don't really sleep that well. And I don't really have a lot of time to, to hang out with family and friends because of that. But I really, especially after these two deaths, especially after my mom passed and then like literally six months later, Fahim passed and they were, you know, two pivotal forces in my life, right? Like as I, you know, as we sort of chatted earlier, my mom was sort of like the person encouraging me after the Facebook web app that, yeah, this is kind of cool. Like, like go do that more. Right. She was, I played music before I played in a punk rock band and she was kind of encouraged that, that sort of creativity. And then with Fahim, it was just like, I saw proof that like, this is a viable like way of making a living. Like you can actually take your ideas, take your imaginations and splash it there on the internet. And it could create value for so many people, right? Like the, the biggest, the biggest value add, the biggest thing that makes me so excited about law trades is like, there's all these independent lawyers making money on the internet because of this platform. They're earning a living off of this idea and they're internet strangers. I've never met them. I've never seen them in person. I've seen some of them in person, but generally they're just people that are internet strangers and they write to me and they're just like, you helped me pay down my student loans. You helped me like, you know, be able to stay at home and watch my kid who has this like weird condition that, that requires me to stay at home or you've, you know, there's all these things. And just like, that is just like amazing. And like, I think like after I sort of lost both of them, um, it just kind of like re recalibrated, like what I was doing and why I was doing it and how insanely limited our time here is on earth and how ephemeral it is and um, how, you know, all of this is just going to, you know, all your accumulation, all your ideas, all your whatever, it can just be gone just like that. Right. And it is going to be gone just like that. Like after 5,000 years, I don't think anyone's going to remember me. I don't think they're going to remember you. No one's going to remember this podcast or whatever. Like maybe there'll be some flash drive or something, a historical artifact. So that is obviously like a little bit morbid to think about, but there's, there's this ephemeral beauty to it that it's almost like it doesn't matter. It, it, like there isn't this like really big significance anymore. So you should take every shot that you can get. You should just go for it. You should just do it because no one else is going to. And, um, and um, no one else also knows exactly what they're doing. So you might as well just follow your own gut, follow your intuition. I love it. I love what you said earlier. I think about it all the time. I mean, if my parents didn't come here, what I would, what would I have been doing in Bangladesh? And you, what you said, I would have been fishing, working on a farm somewhere. What part of Bangladesh were you, was your family from? My dad was from Borishal. Oh, me too. Uh, which is like more of the, oh, sweet. Cool. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he might know your family or something like that. <laughs> but but you know, it's interesting. And we also, I wrote an article about this. Well, maybe not our generation, but older, our older generation. You just find somebody you know, from the same village and he was just like, there's just immediate connection. They have this immediate yeah. connection. I find it fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really awesome. And I think that, um, you know, staying along with that instant connection analogy, I feel like part of like building a company is all of those connections that you make, right. It's yeah. like your, your company is this ideal utopian world, right. Yeah. That like, this is how I wish the world was. And I get to yeah. sort of create it. And in that process, you get to pick, who you work with, which is essentially like picking your friends. And instead of like friends that you go out grabbing a drink with at happy hour, it's friends that you hang out and you get to build stuff and you make money together. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you get to just like develop those connections and create your own world and work with really smart people. And it's, you know, selfishly, it's like, that's one of also the best parts about it is like, I get to just surround myself with like, people I genuinely respect people that push me and I push them and we just repeat this process. And it's like, this is our world now, right? It's our little bubble now. And, um, back in the days, you know, pre-internet, it was just that, right? It was just like, okay, your coworkers, your neighbors, your, your, your family, friends, whatever. Now it's like you publish something on Twitter and someone sees it and they'll DM you. Then you'll meet up in person and you've never known them before. And like, there's customers that like, we just came back from San Francisco that we met and we grabbed dinner with them. And I was just like, there was no other reason for us to meet aside from that process. So there's all these like relationships that interwine and 
is able to get created from when you actually like, I'm not advocating everybody should start a company, but I think that um, I, I can't think of any other better way to get all of these benefits. Obviously there's like the, the stress of it and all of that. But if, if you're truly sort of, you're truly into the art of, 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 of creating and starting a business, all of that is just like just part of the process or whatever. But the upside that you get from it um, is really amazing. And, and you're not going to see that upside in the first year. You're going to see it in the second year. You might see it in the third year, but like it is just the long haul process of coming in, showing up day in and day out. Not because it's a habit, not because it's like, oh, there's some morning routine to how, you know, like, like what is a morning routine of millionaires? Let me go repeat it. And like, maybe now I'll have a successful startup. It's like, no, like you just have to figure out what it is that society wants, but doesn't know yet how to get it. And you have to just create that and you have to keep trying to create that. And, um, and I think, I think interesting stuff sort of happens in that, in, in that process. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you and me are recording this podcast and like, you're going to put it out there in the internet and like there could be thousands of people that see this hundreds of thousands of people that list this and it's not going to cost you anything yeah. for that to happen it's, it's like it's like we could have easily just done this in like a coffee shop and i just talked to you for an hour and whatever right yeah but like nobody else would be able to hear it so it's like that amplifier is like it's like i don't know it's it's, it's one of the greatest like wealth creation machines like I don't know, ever invented to date, right? Like I can't think of something, maybe in a hundred years, there'll be something else that's, that's sort of different. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like might as well just take advantage of that. Are you still, are you still not a morning person? I, I go through phases. Um, I would say generally I'm not because my brain starts going off at like one or two o'clock in the morning. And I'm reading about like ego, mind, consciousness, thinking about thinking at like really late, you know, late, late into the night. Um, I did go through um, a, a couple of months where I like sort of just woke up at like five or six in the morning and um, just meditated for a while before I did anything, um, usually for an hour. And I'm still doing that now. It's just like not as early in the morning. Um, but with like traveling and a few other stuff that kind of just gets in the way of that. And um, I've kind of gone back to staying up late and, 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 and sort of waking up later. But I guess, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going with it, right? If I wake up and gotcha. I, I never, I still don't use an alarm. I just kind of wake up on my own. And if that happens to be early in the morning, great. I'll wake up or sunrise and do what I have to do. If it's not, then it's okay. I don't really feel stressed about that, um, you know. As long as I'm performing well and I'm at like peak creativity, you know, which is like being alone for a little bit for a couple of hours at some block in the day, then I'll be happy, you know. And you're still pl unplugging from social media from 8.30 to 12.30? Yes, for the most part. I did this like writing challenge on Twitter recently where um, you're okay. just essentially writing like, 30 mini essays every day for 30 days to sort of build a writing habit. Um, that required me to sort of like write and publish in the morning a little bit more. But generally I think that like I do unplug, even if like, if, if I'm doing that, it's just to literally like publish something. I'm not really on the feeds, gotcha. but like I'm still mostly on like airplane mode. All my notifications are usually off. I'm not really interacting with anybody. Um, my calendar is usually I don't really take any meetings earlier than 11 um, uh, just because like e a either that's like my time that I'm like writing or doing something creative or doing deep work or B I'm just sleeping because I was up till four o'clock in the morning. So either way, I just don't want to really be bothered um, essentially at that time. And I don't know, I think, I think just doing that is really, important. I think just alone time and solitude just doesn't get enough love, you know, um, going for walks by yourself, sitting down and just, you know, you don't have to think of meditating as like, oh, you have to like focus on your breath or listen to some app or something guided. It's like, no, just like sit with yourself and just close your eyes and just be with yourself and let whatever come to you, come to you. Like, how is it that you can sit in front of a computer for eight hours without like thinking twice, but you can't just like be with yourself for an hour. You can't mm. just like write something on a notepad for no purpose or whatever. So that to me was just like, I'm not saying that that's what everybody should do. And like, I do that and I'm like, great because of that. But that drew my curiosity of like, why can't I sit still? Why can't mm. I not be on social for like a couple of hours? And that just 
kind of drove me deeper and deeper into that whole world a little bit. Uh, I mean, I loved, uh, I loved uh, talking to you. I like uh, just getting to know you and also just your, uh, your way of thinking. I think it's fascinating. I'm, I'm glad you came on. Um, super, super uh, proud of what you're doing with Law Trades. Um, I mean, continued success. Thanks for coming on. Hope you come back. Yeah, I will. And uh, thank you so much. And I think what you're doing for the Bangladeshi community is, is, is really awesome. And um, um, yeah, I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks. The red and green I beat is always in my heart. I, I do it for my people, always in my thoughts. I gotta be honest with diamonds and pearls. Yeah, yeah. Bengal is a New York. All over the world uh, is the bony show. Uh, hey, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the slang we spit to the gangs we with It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh I say, hey, come on, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live